everybody, welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents, the filmography of Charlie Kaufman. Welcome to a new series where we're going to be talking about the films of this writer first and then writer-director. I'm really excited to get into Being John Malkovich with James. James, what's Being John Malkovich? Oh man, it's, uh, it's an amazing ride. I have to say, as far as the film goes, I was smiling ear to ear the entire time for me, um, I think. It's it very entertaining. You know, very, very entertaining for me. Um, yeah, of course, we'll get into it. But I think Kaufman writes about human stuff. Like, he puts weird in the forefront, but behind it, it's very, like, like uh, the feeling of wanting or, you know, like, wanting to be somebody else or uh, urge for, you know, like, desire. Or, you know, like, he's got, like, real core tenants and then a core core basis for everything and then it, on top of it is just what's the wildest way to show this yeah. <laughs> or the, maybe the most imaginative or sort of like furthest extreme you can take a, a storytelling device yeah. it was interesting because i haven't seen this one for you know several years at this point but going into it with this lens you see a lot of the I don't want to say tricks, but ideas that he's very occupied with. And I'll be kind of curious to unpack those as we go along. Sure, yeah. Um, but before we do, anything else on your radar? Have you seen any other films of note? Yes, what did I watch? Oh, Midsommar. Oh, right on. It is yep. October 1st as we record this, so the spooky season is upon us. Yeah. Uh, is that the good first time? time? Good damn film, man. Oh, no, uh, second time, but first time was a big group of people and people were talking, so I don't think I got um, into it. This time it was just three of us, and I really, yeah, yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a couple more. Have you watched it? Yeah, I like that movie an awful lot. I saw it one time uh, and also really enjoyed it in a way that I was sort of like gripped by it. Um, my high level reaction is that it, it felt that in some ways it was revisiting the themes of hereditary in sort of the way that we deal with grief as individuals and a culture. And yeah. I found hereditary to be more successful in those themes. I haven't but, seen hereditary, but um, I, I definitely get the feeling like the overarching idea is grief and how, or, or life events. And then how we deal with them and, you know, like, and depression and how we deal with it, you know. So one girl in Norway dealt with it by killing herself and her parents and then, you know, other people deal in other ways. Yeah, yeah that movie starts from a really heavy place and gets to a, a even heavier place. I do love the sort of, like, bright, I mean, the midsummerness of it, just the fact that it's high key the whole way is unsettling, but really beautiful, you know? And they make the the kind of decision to, the horror elements are quite kind of hidden or like, like scientific at the start. So the people jump, you know, spoiler alert, people jumping off a cliff. It's not a horror event of, per se. It's just a gory event that's kind of horrific. But, right. but all the well, horror of the like people and the, the scary stuff is 
kind of hidden to the last like ten five minutes of the movie. You realize what happens to all the people, <laughs> you know. So they people people just disappear and they don't necessarily tell you what happened. Like, like yeah, no, and in that way, it has a very like um, almost like a summer camp slasher vibe to it, yeah. but taken to a really. Um, culturally resonant place i guess because those gruesome moments that you're describing they are like they're horrific but they have deep meaning to the culture they're important they're valued you know (laughs) yeah exactly it's yeah it's a good film and really truly um no i like i like the the anxiety of the film too like you don't see a lot happen but you picture in your head a lot lot happening you know like they're, they're saying, oh, he's gone off in a truck. He'll, they'll come back to get you soon. And you're like, he's not coming back. No one's, you know, and, but like, you don't know for quite a long time in the film what's actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Florence Pugh deserves her shout out here. She's phenomenal in that movie as she was everything that year and in her career. That year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Anything else? I know that's, yeah, just me. Okay. How about you? I'm going to take this decidedly lowbrow from Midsommar. Um, I also, since we're talking horror movies, being October 1st, jumped back into the Leprechaun franchise, <laughs> which I'd, I'd started kind of working through a couple of weeks ago and then realizing how close we were to Scary Movie Month, put it aside. So I jumped in at it's the fourth entry i'm pretty sure leprechaun in the hood from 2000 oh my god dude it is a blast that movie is so much does leprechaun go like is it the first one is like 93 ish early 90s yeah and it's uh jennifer aniston's first screen credit (laughs) i love that stuff like piranha being like james cameron's big piranha 2 Piranha yeah. Debut, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Roger Corman, his respect for Piranha 1. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, dude, uh, Leprechaun in the Hood. Leprechaun movies are a blast, all of them. Warwick Davis is having so much fun. But this movie is, I, I mean, the second one, Leprechaun 2, really takes the series and goes, okay, we're a campy horror series. Got it. Mm-hmm. And, and just brings us there. But the fact that this one has a plot that revolves around iced tea and like a golden flute that grants people the powers of, of hip hopness or, you know, the gift of gab or whatever, it, it's fucking awesome. And Coolio shows up. It's so good. Look, Are you serious? Oh, yeah, man. It's like peak. It's, it, like I said, it's 2000, but it's peak 90s schlock cinema, you know, like the leprechaun is way into weed and so the way they defeat him is by rolling him a blunt that also has four leaf clovers in it because four leaf clovers are his kryptonite it ends with warwick davis doing like the leprechaun rap it's the most fun you're gonna have at home watching a movie with a leprechaun in it five stars brilliant (laughs) and and then just to exercise these things for my brain in <laughs> let me ask you a question how many american pie movies are there two 
there's like eight. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and so I wanted to see how bad it got. And the, there's a third one that made it to theaters. That's American Wedding. And it still has most of the cast. You know, uh -huh. like Allison Hannigan is back. Jason Biggs is back. Sean William Scott is back. Okay. You know, and, and that one is inexcusable. It, it's really an upsetting film. There's a lot of like bestiality jokes for even for an American Pie movie. It's surprising how much dog sex <laughs> is going on. Um, and then they made like 10 more movies after that. It's insane. So I watched the uh, ride. No, what the fuck is this thing called? The Stiff Meister Rides Again, whatever. The f oh, no, Band Camp. Sorry. It's, but it's about like Stifler's little brother goes to band. And it's just upsetting. They're terrible, terrible, terrible movies. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish getting through the rest of the series. I, you've got to tell me though if you do carry on when they swap over to like a different nationality you know like when they go oh it's it's the south american version of you know but okay. like yeah like, looking for the like the rise of taj or whatever they did with the van wilder movies yeah. right now we're in the fourth movie and it's an entirely new cast the only connecting thread is band camp although actually um um motherfucking Eugene Levy is still in that movie. He's the connecting thread, actually. But his son isn't. No. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah, there's like two scenes where he's like, no, no, Jason's gone off with his wife. Don't you remember? It's a different thing now. <laughs> And uh, that's why I um, am a sad person. <laughs> I don't know what to say about those movies. Let's talk yeah. about better movies, like being John Malkovich. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So what? I hadn't seen this film in a long time. Okay. But I remembered loving it. And I love it so much more than I remember loving it. Like, it is... It is right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, this does seem like a James movie. It's it's decidedly doing the weird. I yeah. also, it's been a while, like I mentioned, I remember really being taken with it, I don't know, at least the first time I saw it, and really liking it a lot the last time I saw it. And this week, enjoying it, but also sort of feeling at a little bit of a, an arm's length. And again, I think that's because of the arc of Charlie Kaufman where it's like, oh, okay. So your thing is breaking apart the human psyche into layered visual stories. And to reduce it to that is unfair because that's such a boggling accomplishment. And he really does it so well. I, you know, these movies, it's a really good film. And it's not, it's not a typical story on like the overlay even just like, like the relationships and stuff like it really like the main character kind of is the villain like oh he's the worst I actually one of my notes is he doesn't deserve either of these people you know yeah. and I, I'd forgotten how dark it gets with him locking her in the cage yeah he's definitely the bad guy but to speak to your point about the sort of language of cinema that it plays with the the plotting of this thing the first half of it feels very much like a not a fish out of water story but a sort of like 
a coming of age, you know, man versus self, figuring out who he is in this world. And then, you know, it obviously gets to this really insane place of, of metaphysic philosophical pondering. And then it becomes a heist movie about like trying to get rich off of it. And then it really quickly turns into this romance between Catherine Keener and Cameron Diaz. And then it turns into Cocoon at the end where it's about Orson Bean trying to live forever with all of his geriatric companions. This movie is like, at least I just named five different movies that this movie is in one movie. It's nuts. I, I had forgotten the last three movies of this movie. Right. So in my head, I had remembered uh, Man Gets a Job in the seventh and a half floor, which is the greatest thing I've ever, but like <laughs> that introduction and the matter of fact way in which people are like, oh, here, I'll show you. And then they push stop and then pry open Octavia the door. Spencer, by the way. Yeah, Octavia Spencer. And it's um, like, I think that's it. It's the, it's the straight face, like showing an absurd story, but everyone is like bored of it. They're like, oh, life just is like this. And they keep making jokes like, oh, the overheads are low. <laughs> There's some quality jokes, but I think the point that I want to draw out there is that this is a sane man in an insane world. So like the, the speech impediment thing where the receptionist can't understand anything. And he's just like, no, you are speaking, or sorry, he tells Orson Bean, you're speaking clearly. Yeah. There's no problem here. Or like the other thing is like, like the, you're the, so the symbol on the left <laughs> is not a letter, sir. Yeah. Just the very pan way that he delivers that everybody is speaking yeah. and not acknowledging the absurdist nature of everything that's happening. I really like the same man in the insane world plot and it's I it's like maybe my favorite comedic device I definitely love it as a comedic device the pathos that it exhibits here resonated for me in a new way because our and not to go political but it, you know our world has gotten to such an insane place that when I read the news I often get to like a headline or a story where I'm like, no, no, we need to go back seven steps in the headline to unpack where you're wrong from your perspective. You know what I mean? Like the assumptions that you've made here are just entirely misgiven. And yet you've written an entire article after that. And so being what feels like a sane man in this mad ass world or, you know, it just... Yeah. I'm glad there's humor to be found in it. Oh, yeah. Sense of the ridiculous is one of the greatest forms of humor for me. Like, I just think if you can see things are all going wrong, but you can see how ridiculously wrong things are going. And it kind of it kind of gives you a little bit of joy. <laughs> You're like, I, I think the opposite tact, actually. It's, it's that the things that are going wrong here are so absurdly wrong and removed from our world that it's a relief that oh, I can yeah. see those decisions being reflected in our day-to-day -day existence, but I can express them and sort of process them in this modality that is not at all attached to consequences. Because I'm never going to go inside John Malkovich's mind, you know? Oh, mate, I tell you what, the door was available. <laughs> Ending up at the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> I love, like, all of that. Like, 
the no one questions like he tells Maxine um Kathleen or Kathleen Keener Kathleen um he tells her oh sorry her name is Maxine her character name is Maxine played by Kathleen Keener and I interrupted you just because I'm so like oh there's a door and it lets me into John Malkovich's head and she's like okay how do we monetize it and she doesn't once like stop and go is this guy crazy because up until that point she didn't like him and then she's just a hundred percent like okay let's do it and she hadn't even done it yet and she was selling it (laughs) and she returns to that where like the first guy that they sell it to where he's starting to break down about his state and why he needs this and she's just like no 200 bucks please i do not give a shit about what's going on with you doesn't give a shit it's really like an amazing character she's an incredible character but i want to go back to like how you read that their introduction when john cusack and kathleen keener when he's guessing her name and kind of like (laughs) cold reading her is she giving him clues like is she willing to go along with this is he because there's a lot of the reason i'm asking is because there's a lot of quick cuts and close inserts on like lips and eyes and we're going back and forth and i just wanted to get your sort of like track on that scene i didn't see her giving giving uh acknowledgement but also the mechanism of cold cold you know like um cold reading uh like it works that way like they they i don't know why it was in there (laughs) because i was wondering is it is it like uh phenomenological you know like is it magical is he meant to not have is he meant to have just pulled it out of nowhere or is he meant to have read it from her face? Um, well, I, I have a fair question. What is, so I get the sense that he read it from her face. And yeah. so my question is, is she participating? But you're asking a broader question, which is like, did he just like pull it out of the ether? And is that maybe part of the magical fabric of this story, right? Yeah. 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 What do you think? So I wasn't. Well, I kind of was, I was on the cusp between the two watching that scene. I was like, uh, is there, because there's other facets of magic in the, in the. Name one. Oh, wait. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. So there's obviously the magic door, but there's the guy living forever. No, obviously this movie is like involved with magical realism. I'm being super glib. Oh, (laughs) No, but it's just like um, multiple times it's kind of otherworldly. Like like you're saying, like even the characters not making sense is, it's insane, you know? Sure. Like, so well, even like the grounded reality of uh, Cameron Diaz and her menagerie, what, I mean, that's nuts. That's like I the love- baseline of this movie is completely insane. I love the flashback for the monkey, the chimpanzee. <laughs> And it kind of comes to terms with its incarceration and then helps Cameron Diaz get out of the cage. Like yeah. that whole subplot is <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> and I also, I like Sorry, you dropped out on me. Oh, sorry, what was that? I missed you. Um, I also really like that. Oh, yeah. that What'd he, you say? Um, we back in? 
Yep, 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 I'm here. Okay. Just remind me to do some editing on this one. Um, I, I also like that he can't remember any of the animals' names <laughs> at any point. And it, I, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it points to how terrible this dude is. Like, if you're around living creatures that you just can't acknowledge their existence enough to remember which one is which, I mean, like, okay, if she had 27 birds, maybe I might lose track of them. But there's a chimpanzee in the house, and he's like, what's its fucking name? <laughs> it's one of those little touches that, that elevates this movie and reminds you that the creators are, have thought this thing all the way through. And it reminded me of the Coen brothers in that there are some touches in this movie that I know are meaningful to the authors that I don't really understand. So yeah. like in Raising Arizona, there's a few shots of shoes, really yeah. just like close-up inserts on shoes. I don't know what that means to that movie, but I know that these guys planned every single shot of their movie, so it yep. means something to them. And like I said, with this thing, I think John Cusack is just a, a shithead, and that's why he can't remember the name of, the, I'll say people around him, but the creatures that he shares space with. He just is not interested in them at all. He only views them as puppets, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, yeah, no, it's a, I, so I came into the movie, like, on his side. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, she's got a hundred animals. He's lost track. <laughs> but as you go along in the movie, you're like, he's very self-absorbed. And like his, oh, yeah, actually going right back. One of the greatest premises of this movie is how important puppetry is to the universe. Like the fact that there's the guy doing the puppet show off of the bridge. Yeah. And everyone's there clapping and everyone <laughs> cares. It's like, it's one and of the great. John Malkovich can relaunch his career and the world takes it seriously, his puppetry. I love it. I love it too, for a couple of reasons. That the conceit of the joke is hilarious on its face, but the puppetry is amazing. The artwork <laughs> is incredible. Yeah, yeah, the actual puppetry in it is really quite astounding sometimes. So I am kind of like- Every oh. time, every time there's a puppet, it's amazing. The first <laughs> intro sequence of John Cusack doing the dance of whatever is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. The giant puppet is incredible. When we get yep. to the live, like the, the full stage version of uh, Harold and Abelard, no, uh, Heloise and Abelard, yeah. that puppet is shockingly beautiful dancing around on the screen. It's incredible to watch. Yeah. Oh, I mean, fuck, this film was, I just love that. I love the like, the just matter of fact introduction. Uh, like he's watching the news and there's another puppeteer who everyone loves. Right. you know and he's just like damn why can't i be that guy and it's like well, wait why does everyone care about puppets <laughs> again to take that to the furthest extreme that that john malkovich who especially at this point was like a serious actor but it, it was pre-being john malkovich so he wasn't really a part of our pop culture would yeah. take puppetry to a place that was so important that it would not only elevate him, but the 
the art form and sweep the nation and it's just... I loved the I loved like the Charlie Sheen friendship. I liked um What Sean... is Charlie Sheen doing in this movie? Yeah, what is Charlie Sheen doing in this movie? I think he's literally just John Malkovich's friend. You know, like I think <laughs> like I get the feeling like maybe there's a friendship there in real life or something like or something like because I it felt assume. it felt like they just pulled together because John was like, oh look, if if I'm gonna be being me in this movie, I'm gonna need my mate. <laughs> or something. I don't know. Interesting. It was weird anyway. Yeah. I have no right. answers, but I the it's the question that drives me. Yeah. Which actually leads me to The Matrix, which is yeah. another 1999 movie that involves sort of waking up to your reality and transsexualism. So I just wanted to highlight something in the air. Right. No, nothing there. Wait, what? Matrix was transsexual? Well, I mean, its creators certainly were, and it got oh, written right. out yeah. of the, um, the script itself, but the character Switch the reason she's called Switch is that in the Matrix, she presents as a female, and in Zion, in the real world, she presents as male. But in 1999, the studios were like, nah, we're not doing that. And then even like more broadly, just the themes of like, no, no, your body is not your own. Yeah. You need to come to terms with what's in control of your psyche. And that's really what's, I mean, yeah. that's this movie is. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh I mean, I, I get the metaphysical side of relating it to the Matrix. I just hadn't picked up. Yeah, of course. The, um, I mean, the trans, the transsexual stuff is amazing in this. That she like has a go at being a man, and then she realizes maybe that's what I always wanted. Right. Maybe that's, and then like I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> like, like it was a, it was a. Um, and then everyone's having those moments where they're like finding something else so he finds maxine and he's like that's what i want in my life right lotta finds out that she may want to be a man but she's not 100 percent, or maybe she is but he's knocking her down or something um but i i really liked the 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 you know, feeling things well i'm sorry to interrupt but i just this thought jumped to my head right now where you're like everybody in this movie is desiring some piece of their identity, right? Something that they really hold sacred to themselves. And then we end up with Orson being in the crew, just trying to stay alive a little bit longer. And so I wonder if there's a read of this thing that's like, whether you're the artist, whether you're the, the activist, you know, the animal rights um, global crusader, whether you're just the grifter, trying to get by at the end of the day you're gonna try and live a little longer yeah yeah maybe certainly you you've got desires so this, regardless of who you are there are things that you want different or that you want more of and you know like it's kind of uh, you know like anti-buddhism you know yeah <laughs> you know, yeah sure Super desire about the nature of our desires, and that we can't really escape our like desire as a experience. Yeah, interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, I liked the tale 
end of the film more than I rem- I couldn't remember it, but when they have the child and she is, so Maxine thought that she wanted fame and importance and, you know, all of these things. And then when the child comes, when she becomes pregnant, she realizes that she truly loved Lotta and that the child is Lotta's child because the conception was with Lotta, (laughs) a Lottie or whatever. So I I, I just thought that was cool. Like they just went, no, that, I mean, I, I don't care. John Malkovich, whatever. <laughs> but poor John Malkovich, because he, he has a real rough deal in this, because he ends up losing eight months to one guy and then the rest of his life to another group. Well, and isn't that sort of, I mean, it, this movie keeps unpacking itself. That's the nature of acting. Like, if you, if you truly want to do it well, you have to give yourself over to a person that you are not. And yeah. that's scary, you know, that's a really intense thing to take on for your psyche. And yeah. it, it does call into question, you know, where the, where the me stops and where the mirror begins and, and all of the fun meditations that this, that this movie has on its mind. I, mean, I, don't I, can't know. Believe, I can't believe that this is a first screenplay film. Well, you got to imagine it's like, it, I, I can't believe that either. So I assume this is certainly not a first screenplay, right? This isn't the first screenplay that Charlie Kaufman wrote. Yeah. This is like the hundredth screenplay that Charlie Kaufman wrote. And this, this is the first man. one that got made. Because yeah. this, I mean, he, he's obviously a very talented creator, but for this to be the first effort for anybody is like, I, I mean. It's unbelievable because it's got so many differences but like uh it's it's rich and it's like you say it can be unpacked it's like like layers upon layers of like different parts of facets of society or kind of squished together into this like slice of life mental story but yeah i don't know uh it's it's great like it's a great screenplay and it's great um, I'll yep. just ground us a little bit and uh, shout out. Well, I'm not done with Catherine Keener. I want to call out the her unashed cigarette right before they both jump on her at the dinner scene yeah. is a really nice touch. And anytime I see an unashed cigarette in cinema, I'm pretty happy. But my favorite line of hers and maybe in all of cinema is, I, I don't remember what Cusack asks her, but she says, yawn, figure it out. And then just like closes the door. <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. laughs> That's so perfect. Oh, I, I love, I love all of that. Like when he declares love, his love for her, and she's like, "Okay," oh, or like, "Oh," and then just doors shut and just moves <laughs> on. It's, it's so good. There are hilarious moments in this movie. Yeah. There's like There's so facility for like empathy from her character, but it's great. Like, but she um, does. She's like yeah, powerfully in love she just gives zero shits about anything that she doesn't give a shit about which you know I certainly understand. that's what her speech was about the yeah. other two read it the other two read it as do what you want but what she's actually saying is i live my life how i want and if other people don't live that way why would i care <laughs> like, that's my problem yeah, it's not my problem yeah also, the funniest fucking joke in this, well, I don't know, this movie's got some real highlights, but w- when they're doing the, uh, um, 
uh, the like, <laughs> shit, sorry, my brain just shut off. But the intro film, when he first gets the job, the welcome, the orientation video is the phrase I was looking for when my brain stopped. Sorry. Yeah. When they're watching the orientation video and that woman walks in and is like, no, sir, I'm not looking for a handout. Just the ear of a, a kindly lord or whatever she says. <laughs> the line that she wraps up on, hang on, I wrote it down because she says, you know, the thing about doorknobs being too high and then chairs are unwieldy and high ceiling rooms mock my stature. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah. I'm yeah. still laughing about that. Oh, yeah. High ceilings mock my stature. <laughs> I thought, I chairs are unwieldy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. I have um, uh, one final question for you. Do you think this was ever like being somebody else you know like was John Malkovich the star that signed on and then it got rejiggered like was this ever say like out of being John Travolta or like oh shit okay so I couldn't picture anyone else but it's because it's part of like it's part of our like pop culture now but uh... you know who would be good for the remake uh, these days and has kind of a similar vibe is Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Do I know Michael Shannon? Yeah, I'm sure you do. He was in um, Knives Out probably most recently from last year. He was the guy with the boot on his leg and the cane. Oh, okay. And yeah, like, right. yeah, he's got yeah. a bunch of, uh, you know, grungy thrillers and, and yeah. kind of he's like the untrustworthy dude in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, so I can't picture it as anyone else other than John Malkovich, but that doesn't mean to say that it wasn't written as, you know, being amorphous celebrity, you know. Um. Well, but it's not about a celebrity, right? Because John Malkovich has that, you know, oh, Gary Oldman maybe would have worked because yeah. his reputation is like super weird. No, Gary Oldman wouldn't have worked because like you know you're looking at a John Malkovich performance but you're always like kind of drawn to the gravity of it yeah. Gary Oldman sometimes escapes what I'm trying to say is that like John Malkovich is an actor's actor you know yeah. and I and I don't know who the the counterpart would have been at that point uh, you know who I'd like to see is um oh shit <laughs> damn it it's late in the day um being John Lithgow Oh, being John Lithgow. <laughs> I mean, you could play that game, couldn't you? This film with other people. And because the performances are really, it's because of the stern, um, straight face, you know, John Malkovich that makes the dancing and the, the, the like screaming out, hello, I'm here. It makes oh. it. <laughs> yeah. because he's such a reserved individual and that's why the scenes like the first time i mean it could be being john cusack at this point but the yeah. first time that cusack goes into malkovich's mind it's just him like doing dishes and taking the taxi and it's he's very subdued you know his persona is reserved he, he, yeah yeah hmm, hmm. <laughs> I like the concept because if anyone else wrote the screenplay, it wouldn't be 
one person. The door wouldn't go to John Malkovich every time. They would make this magical take over other people's door. You know, like it would be the, this sure. big story. I love that Kaufman goes big, but he also <laughs> goes small. Like, well, that's you know, like, what you're saying about the human nature of the story. It's very high concept, but what you're like any other high concept version of this the studio version of this would be like yeah let's get every celebrity for a cameo and yeah. 30 seconds to 90 seconds of what their experience is flash 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 but yeah. kaufman is taking this high concept he's almost like a sci-fi writer in that way and obviously gets very into sci-fi stuff as he goes along but he's taking these concepts to their logical extremes not their fantastic extremes. He's taking yeah. a fantastic concept to the logical extreme. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. So he, he doesn't he doesn't like extrapolate and go he doesn't extrapolate the whole thing, like the the whole concept. He just says, what if that concept kept going and you had to build a society around it or a group of people or you had to have a you know like so and it's still people, they're actual human beings that are motivated by their traumas and their insecurities and their goals and their passions and not yeah. the concept of the movie. They're still people that have to operate in this world. Yeah, and so then when it all falls apart for whatever reason, it's, it's generally not because of some otherworldly thing. It's because somebody got jealous or somebody, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And got greedy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's a great start to, to Charlie Kaufman, man. Really looking forward to diving further into his filmography. Human Nature uh, next, I think. Oh, so I haven't seen this one. So I'm actually kind of excited because there are a few holes in this for me. Um, so I'm like, I, I love... Kaufman's films but I haven't kind of sought them all out like you know so um, yeah. well and this one was particularly hard to find so it's a new it'll be new for me too I have not really? seen it either yeah well until next week when we discuss even more about human nature and insane circumstances <laughs> looking forward to it very much so yeah